It's remarkable how iconic just four musical notes can be. Say, if you're a classical music fan. Or if you're a football fan. Or if you're a Shakespeare fan. From the Folger Shakespeare Library, this is Shakespeare Unlimited. I'm Michael Whitmore, the Folger's director. Those four notes are, of course, from the theme to Franco Zeffirelli's 1968 production of Romeo and Juliet. The film, which is considered the Romeo and Juliet for Shakespeare fans of a certain age, starred 17-year-old Leonard Whiting as Romeo and 16-year-old sensation Olivia Hussey as Juliet. For the 50th anniversary of the film's release, Olivia Hussey, along with her son, Alexander Martin, published The Girl on the Balcony, Olivia Hussey Finds Life After Romeo and Juliet. We took the opportunity to invite Miss Hussey into the studio to talk about the film that changed her life. We call this podcast Speak Again, Bright Angel. Olivia Hussey is interviewed by Barbara Bogave. So when you went to this audition for Romeo and Juliet, how well did you even know the play? Oh, I knew it because I started at a drama school in England. And one of the prerequisites was our Shakespeare class, you know, which I always found very boring, honestly, those big monologues and very hard on me. And we did Romeo and Juliet for a while, and I was cast as Romeo because I had a very deep, <laughs> deep voice. voice. I smoked I a lot back it. then. Even though I was young, I was everybody smoked, all the grown-ups, so I thought it was cool. And, um, but you didn't take to it. What didn't you like? I just found it very long and very... I didn't really understand it. You know, I came from Argentina. I'm half English, half Argentinian. Right, so Shakespeare, not your cup of tea. But you already had a lot of experience as an actor at the time that you auditioned for Juliet. Uh, you had a leading part on the London stage as one of the girls in the prime of Miss Jean Brodie with Vanessa Redgrave. And you already had a regular part on a TV show, The Charlie Drake Show, which I don't know being an American, but I gather was really something. No, an here American. in America, he he didn't really hit like Benny Hill did, but he was every bit as big as Benny Hill in London. So he was Charlie huge. Charlie Drake was huge. He always did. He was a comedian, and he was very short, and he had this strawberry blonde kind of hair, and he was and he used to say, "Hello, my darlings." Hello, my darlings. When you're feeling sad and blue, and the job's too much for you. This is what you gotta do. Sing, hello, my darling. I'd gone on auditions, but I hadn't really done a lot of stage. And the auditions were being held in a theatre. And we were told to prepare something from Shakespeare. And of course, I said, well, I don't have anything from Shakespeare. And so they said, you're not doing Shakespeare. And I said, no, we haven't got to Shakespeare yet. And I don't really understand Shakespeare. I don't, you know, but I just blurted out because I was nervous. And they said, so you're doing a poem. And I said, I'm doing The Owl and the Pussycat by Edward Lear. And so I heard snickering. And then I just thought, so I started. The Owl and the Pussycat went to sea in a beautiful pea. And off I went. And at the end of it, I heard this roarous laughter. 
And I knew who it was because I recognized his voice because it was Charlie Drake sitting there. And they eliminated a lot of the kids. You know, you, you and you, thank you very much for coming. You and you, stay. And I was right at the end of the line. And then I heard Charlie Drake say, the little one at the end. And so he just asked me a few questions about myself. And I, I was a bit nervous, but I was very spunky because that's all I really had. I talked my way into the drama school. It was a private school and I couldn't afford the fees. Which is why I asked you. And also I yeah. thought it's so ironic. You, yeah. It sounds as if you got kind of a big break, your first big break, yes, because you big break. didn't do yeah. Shakespeare. <laughs> yes, I know. But also Charlie Drake liked me because I was shorter than he was. So was... back to the audition with Franco Zeffirelli. Yes. Uh, when you got there, it sounds like it was just a mob scene. It sounds it like was, hundreds. It was an audition. Of... There were 800 girls in London alone. And that's not counting the girls he had seen in America or wherever else. Hundreds. Mm, and apparently, Zeffirelli told you all to go find a costume, to just go grab it? What they they had, it was at 65, 66 Dean Street, and all the girls were upstairs in the girls' dressing room. The boys were in the... And they had one tunic for the boys. And the girls would have this one white dress with a, a, white, a, a gold thing underneath the breast thing. And I always remember, because most girls are quite flat at 15, but I was actually very well endowed at 15, and so the thing was always crooked, so I was always, like, <laughs> adjusting it, and it was, you know, it was one of the plights Sounds of like my life, was <laughs> my breast. Well, uh-huh. tell, me, tell me then if this is right, because as I understand it from your memoir, yeah. uh, Zeffirelli came into the dressing room yes. and came right over to you and pulled his comb out of his yes, jacket. Yes, he did. And, and rearranged well, her hair. Well, because I what always did... wore my hair on the side because I wanted to look sort of Bridget Bardo. Or, you well, know, of course, she and, was And of course I did you know, I, I always thought I looked so mature and, and I looked like a little girl, you know. With, and so he, it was on the side. He came over and he, you know, he, all the girls were looking because of the jealousies that go on, you know, when everyone's auditioning. Oh, sure. And he just, he said, you just stand still. And he, he combed my hair all forward. And then, and I said, what are you doing? And he said, he said, watch, trust me, you have this perfectly aligned face and I have to see it with the middle parting. I said, I'm going to look ridiculous with the middle parting. And he you said, said this no, to, to oh, the yes, director. I didn't care because he was touching my hair. <laughs> you know, and so he did that and he parted it and he said, perfect. This is how you audition for Juliet. And then we started and one girl went down and did, you know, and it was the balcony scene they started with. Right. And he paired you. That with first Whiting. day with Leonard yes. Whiting. Because Frank was very visual. Thing. So right He's away he saw man. the two of you and he thought yes, that's... Yes, he, he paired different people with different they people. Belong. But he said, Leonard, Olivia, the two of you. Yes, I like that. Yes. And so we only auditioned with each other. Romeo, doff thy name. And for that name which is no part of thee, take all myself. <laughs> <laughs> I take thee thy word. <gasps> Call me but love and I'll be new baptized. Henceforth, I never will be Romeo. So you were told to perform this balcony scene. And, and I had a very hard time on it. Yes, you said you, you, you didn't like that scene at all. What That's was b- hard about it? What was hard is that it's a very, very long scene with a lot of ups and downs. And one minute they're kissing passionately and the next minute, you know, she's running. And right, she has huge mood swings. Huge mood swings, yeah. everything else. And it was just ridiculous as an audition that took about almost a week to shoot when we actually shot it and how well did you know the lines oh i knew the lines i had learned my lines yeah because when you're 15 you learn your lines like that you know by yonder blessed moon i swear swear not by the moon the constant moon 
that monthly changes in her circled orb, lest that thy love prove likewise variable. What shall I swear by? Do not swear at all. Or if thou wilt, swear by thy gracious self, which is the god of my idolatry. So you and Leonard are auditioning, and you get halfway through the Thou Knowest, the Mask of Night is on my face. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you notice out of the corner of your eye that Zeffirelli is fidgeting with something. Um, So you see him fidgeting. Yes, but I didn't just see him. We did a lot of... I'd look over at Franco, and I'm, Oh, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou? And I'd be looking at him, and he was just going... With his hands, he was, he was, he was just doing something with his, with his hands, hands. Uh-huh. you know. And he's sitting there kneeling, and because he, he never can sta- could stand still, he was always <clears throat> with his cough <laughs> and everything, and you know. And he's there, and as I'm trying to get through one of the the chunks of dialogue, he starts like going and flicking the papers at me, and I'm he's flicking uh, little yes. balls of paper so at, was, at yes, your what at your ball, face? Yes, at me. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't hurt. It was just you know. Well, what did you do? And she did that. And I turned around. I said, will you stop it? You know, I'm trying to act here. You're, you, you, this is terrible. Just like, you know, And then I thought, oh, God, what did I do? And Franco looked at me and he burst out laughing. And he just said, this is what I want. The passion. The, the, no more ethereal stuff. Just be yourself. <laughs> and I said, okay. <laughs> so, and after that, it was like, because what he loved, what he wanted was Romeo to be gentle and romantic and a lover and and he wanted Juliet to be a spitfire full of energy so did you think at that moment I've got this I got no it. no because you had because another audition uh, and it sounds like it was to a packed house yeah like a zoo that studio executives were there by this time Paramount had taken over this this film had During started out as a, as had, a BBC yes. special and for this yeah. audition you were getting to do a scene that you you loved the potion scene the potion scene, because I loved so it because dramatic. I got to do it by myself. <laughs> you see, there was nobody bothering me, and I didn't have to wait for another actor to stumble. Or to, I could just let it fly there, and all my emotions could come out. Oh, 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 shut the door, and when thou hast done so, come weep with me, past hope, past care, past help. Oh. And I was at Wyndham's Theatre, and I had. it took me about an hour to learn the whole potion scene because it was so good. I loved it. And I asked all the girls, the young girls, the school girls in the prime of Miss Jean Brodie, I said, I, they all knew I was auditioning for Zeffirelli, and I kept getting called back. And I said, I, he's asked me to do the potion scene. So, and they were all very judgmental. They'd all done it. They all knew what they were doing. They were, you oh, know. I'm sure and I said, so will critical. you all come? And yeah. we were up in the gods in the dressing rooms way above. The stars go below and you work your way. You know, so we were in the gods in right the at the top. <laughs> and I, I, was, I said, will you all sit down? Can I do it for you, what I'm planning to do for him? And they said, yes, that'd be good. So they all sat on all the dressing room things in front. And so I started and I started doing it. And by the end, I was in such a state and I was so worked up and I put my head back and I just and I fell to the floor and there was complete silence if in thy wisdom thou canst give no help (laughs) a couple of the younger girls were crying and the older ones were just you know they just went and I thought yes 
you know, that's when you know you've got something that, you know, I said, that's just how I'm going to do it, you know, because I get goosebumps thinking of it. It was the most thrilling moment when my peers were looking and they didn't know what to say. So I couldn't wait to get to Franco. So I waited, and then we, we, I went back to Dean Street. And he said, so, darling, this potion scene, I said, just tell me where you want me to stand. I can't wait to do this So he you. tried to direct you and give oh, you yes, notes. Oh, yes, he always tried to direct. And you I, said no. I got stronger. <laughs> I just said, please, Franco, I've been working on it. I just, you know, and he said, oh, well, she's been working on it. You know, and then I noticed there were, like, three men in suits, and there was a bed, and that was it, really, and one camera. And so he said, well, you just can only stand here. If you want to fall or anything, you have to fall behind this bed thing. So I said, okay. So I started doing it. And once I got crying, I couldn't stop. I was like a mess. And I just put my head back and I fell behind the bed. I fell, but I made sure I fell dramatically. And then I went down behind the bed. (laughs) And again, there was complete silence. Nobody said a word. And uh, then I heard, (coughs) which was Franco's nervous thing. And Franco came over and he picked me up off the floor and I was still trying to control myself because once you get going, and I'm, (laughs) you know, and he just whispered in my ear, he said, you're going to love Rome. And that's when I knew that I was going to be Juliet. So when this whole production was finally unveiled, and you were unveiled, uh, you and Leonard as the stars of Zeffirelli's new Romeo and Juliet, and of course it was huge, just huge news. Did did you, though, have any idea of how big or how global a news story this would be? No. So you were gobsmacked? Well, yes, and I was 15. I turned 16 during the shooting. Well, I was thinking about that because I watched a newsreel kind of uh, piece uh, uh, about the making of the movie. Olivia Hussey, just 16 years old. Leonard Whiting, just 17. You're at a pool party. Yes. You and Leonard. And, how long? Right. You, he's running around practically naked in his tiny Well, he was little, an exhibitionist whatever. back then. Anyway. All the boys were just like... Of course. But me, you know, I was, I was a 38 chest, you know. And all of, the, all of these eyes on you. And yeah. you are wrapped up in a huge beach towel. They are burning up with vitality. Exuberant and playful. Always on the move. And yet, finding time for more... Franco didn't help me because once we got on the set, all through the set, he'd get the big megaphone and he'd say, Where is she? Where's Boobs Amina? <laughs> and I, Boobs the first Amina time he did was it, I nickname. was like devastated. I was proud. I said, Franco. And he said, What is it, Boobs Amina? Franco Zeffirelli, one of today's most daring and controversial filmmakers, cast the roles as Shakespeare had intended teenagers who had both the emotional ecstasy of youth and the spirit of rebellion. And so by the time we did the bedroom scene, I didn't even care because he had made such a big deal of it and brought it up so much that it just didn't mean anything anymore. (laughs) It is not yet near day. It was the nightingale and not the lark that pierced the fearful hollow of thine ear. Nightly she sings on yon pomegranate tree. Oh, believe me, love, it was the nightingale. At what point did you find out that you and Leonard were going to film that that scene in the nude? 
Well, nobody ever talked about it until the day. And, the, and sometimes I'd say, you know, I've got to have, like, flesh-colored underwear to wear underneath this long gown. And that was my way of, <clears throat> I have to have. And then the morning of, Mauro, the makeup artist, Mauro, Gavazzi, you know, knocked on my door and, Juliet, and I, yes, and, I, and he said, Franco sent me and I've got to make you up from head to toe. And I said, okay, I said, but, you know, I have flesh-colored underwear on. And so, you know, and he said, mm. So he just, like, <laughs> he continued on doing it all. And then Everybody once I got there... Everybody smoothed it over. Oh. Nobody said a word. And then once I got there, Franco said, you know, darling, this is the one and only night they spend together. They're young. This is their passion. What would it look like if she takes her robe off and she has her underwear on? No nightingale. Night's candles are burnt out. And Jockham Day stands tiptoe on the misty mountaintops. By the time he'd finished telling me about the love thing, I'd go, oh, and I'd just take everything off and I just got into the bed because it made sense. And you, you trusted see. him. Oh, completely, yeah. And it was a close set. But yes. there were, you know, that means you do have the cameraman and you have Well, the you have a few people, people there, but need. by that point and in somebody, the filming... And some old goat snuck on, right? Well, by that point in the filming, we knew the camera crew so well and they were so professional that when they weren't needed to light something or to hold something, they would just stand, but they'd turn with their backs, which was really nice. But then the sound man had like some strange kind of crush on me. It was strange because he had white hair and he was an older man. So when we did the bedroom scene, I said, Franco, I am not comfortable with him being there. So they, they set up the microphone on the, they built up a thing over the bed for the close-ups and they set up a microphone and he, they said to him, we don't need you, it's a closed set. And, but he was trying to sneak on. They caught him sneaking on. And he was banished from the set for that day. I've more care to stay than will to go. Come death and welcome, Juliet wills it so. It is. It is. I hence be gone away. Romeo, it is. that sings so out of tune, straining harsh discords and unpleasing shafts. Let's move on to that famous balcony scene. How camest thou hither? Tell me and wherefore. The orchard walls are high and hard to climb. What I didn't realize until I read your book was that Zaffirelli built that plaster balcony. He went and he found the perfect place in Tuscany. A wall. It was a wall. Oh, gentle Romeo, if thou dost love... Pronounce it faithfully. Or if thou think'st I'm too quickly won, I'll frown and be perverse and say thee may so thou wilt woo. Yeah. Well, it sounds a little bit of a mess. Yeah. I mean, it, Leonard, he's climbing up and yeah. down that tr- tr- yeah. tree and over and over again. they had to repair again. it many times, and it, they, they painted it. And it was a- if my heart's dear love, like, I swear, I'll oh, do it. <laughs> <laughs> It looks so beautiful in the mm. film, your nose to nose yeah. as he leaps up there. But apparently that's not the way it went. You were you were all beat up, yeah, bloody noses? When what happened was we'd have to kiss passionately. And, of course, we did. But after doing it like ten times, I'd got a nosebleed. 
you know, and I'd bump my teeth into his chin and... And yet I wish but for the thing I have. My bounty is as boundless as the sea. My love is deep. The more I give to thee, the more I have. For both are infinite. Well, so how did you handle the famous lines then? I just did them. I just did what was in... Franco would say, do what's in your heart. If it doesn't sound right, I'll tell you. It so the dialogue so came to you then yeah. in that balcony scene, which is so interesting because uh, another thing I learned prepping for this was that uh, apparently Zeffirelli was using these new cameras that look, reflex. Yeah, look great, but yeah. they made a, a slight <laughs> clicking sound, right? Yeah, yeah. And so an unusual amount of the dialogue that we uh, hear in that balcony it's scene dubbed. had to be dubbed. Had Except to, in for looping, maybe three or four lines. Which is after well, you wrap. We did, we did months of shooting, and then we had to do about six months of looping. Six months of looping. And when you're yeah. looping, you're just looping by yourself in a room, you're right? Standing you're standing in You're not standing studio. across. No. Say, you're not saying your lines with no. your partner. No. You're Emotion. saying your lines to yourself on the screen. Sweet good night. This bud of love by summer's ripening breath may prove a beauteous flower when next we meet. It's just it remarkable. It was a lot That's so much And then emotion. sometimes Franco would say, you know how you said the line here? Well, I want you to say it a different way. I want you to put more inflection on this part. I should have been more strange, I must confess. <laughs> but that thou overheardst, ere I was where, my true love's passion. So uh, apparently you got fed up one day, right? And, and, and got frustrated and stormed out of there? No, first, because he was always, like, picking on me. And one day I just turned around and I just said, I hate you. And I walked out and stormed out. And I actually went next door where Fellini was um, dubbing Satyricon. And I didn't know it was Fellini, but he was sitting in there, this big teddy bear of a man, and I was like in tears, you know. And he said, he said, what's wrong, Julieta? You know, and I was sitting on his lap, and I said, he's such a bully. I just hate him. You and you know, didn't know was, who this, you didn't know you no, were talking to Federico I, you know, Fellini. And then after about, I, I sat with him, and he was doing drawings of me, because he's famous for doing his little drawings and things. And I was sitting, I had my arm around, and I was watching, you know, uh, Hiram Keller and Martin Potter playing the, the leads in Satyricon. I was saying, this, that looks like fun. That's, you know, and, and, and you seem so nice, you know. And then I wish Fra I was in your I movie. Turned, well, I turned around and Franco popped his head in. He said, I've been looking for you everywhere. He said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm talking to this lovely man who is not abusive, who's kind and nice. And, <sighs> and Franco said, you know who this is, Olivia? And I said, yes, he's lovely. And he said, this is the great Federico Fellini. And I said, no. And he said, mm-hmm. I said, well, you're lovely. You're much nicer than Franco. Uh, <laughs> uh, I went to dinner with Fellini and his wife, Giulietta Massina, who was an amazing actress. And it was just the three of us in their little apartment. Wow, yeah. I do want to get back, though, to what you just said, that Fellini was nicer than Franco because... Franco Zeffirelli, he had this infamous temper. Yeah, he, he does. did. He does. I um, loved that, though. He was just so colorful and so Italian. And then he, he was charming to all, everyone, treated everybody equally. Well, you saw, I think, his temper the first time at, at a costume fitting. Yes. Is that right? Yes. So um, you were getting fitted Well, I'd already for one seen these... bits of it, but, but that ah. was unbelievable because he had Danilo Donati, who was the most amazing 
designer and you know he was just a wonderful wonderful man very funny he looked like a penguin he was just so <laughs> sweet and he loved cakes and he'd bring big trays of cakes everywhere say franco i've got the dolce you know and and, and i was always on a diet of you course. know and so he designed this dress and the dress Franco wanted what he wanted and I this dress had puffy kinds of sleeves and it it was very in the period but so I came out of the dressing room and I felt so beautiful you know it was just so ethereal and you know and Franco started he was like yelling and carrying on and he just and Danilo started screaming at him and he screamed back at them. they were really good friends and they you were know. pulling at your but, no and then Franco the... came up and he said Look at this, guarda questo. And he did, he grabbed the sleeve of the thing and he ripped it off. And Danilo went, oh, oh. And Franco said, it's terrible. It needs to be petite. She's petite. She doesn't need to look like a bonbon, you know, all of these kind. Of, and by the time he'd finished, he was grabbing at my bodice going, you know, trying to rip that off. And I'm like, oh. And then he went off yelling and Danilo went running, scurrying after him. And I went into my dressing room and I went, I want to go home. I hate this. How could this is abusive? This, I was just like, that's you know, hilarious. It's like an opera. It's like a exactly. comic opera. But he was, but he did everything with so much color that you'd see Sir Lawrence Olivia saying, "Yes, Franco." You know, uh, everybody just loved him because he was so, I don't know, alive. Well, when the film finally came out, I mean, it sounds like you were on this whirlwind publicity tour that it was went on paramount, for, yeah. I mean, eventually, really for years. It did. And they put you up in the plaza once you yes. got to New York, yes. and you and Leonard, but you were broke at the oh, same yes. time. Well, people think, oh my God, you were in this classic film that will go on for all time. Leonard and I, Paramount paid us um, £1,500 each. That's, That's that $3,000 That's what you then. got in, That's in what its we entirety. Got. And when the film was grossing so much money and it was a phenomenon, they didn't give us a boost, they didn't give us a nothing. You know, and and they've had us touring all over America, and I, you know, I didn't have money for clothes, you know, and they wanted us to do I don't know which show it was. It was the Jack Parr show, and it was, and I just looked at them and I said, I can't do the show, and I I wasn't being a diva or anything, and they said, Why not? The Paramount people would always, What do you mean? And I said, I have no clean clothes, so I don't want to do it. I don't want to put my dirty clothes back on, and within. An hour, somebody had gone to Saks Fifth Avenue and they'd brought back all these arrays of things. It was not very nice, really. It was that studio system where they pretty much owned you. Well, they could have given each of us, I don't know, $20,000 because the film was grossing so much money and, and said, go shopping and get ready for the touring. But nobody did. Nobody cared. So I think it's interesting that Zeffirelli took this great risk of casting two young people, having two teenagers in the role. And you say in your memoir that it wasn't your acting that made the film. It was because you were both so young. What do you think it was about Zeffirelli's directing and the film as a whole that made it work and has made it It made the Queen of England cry. It made you feel. Well, when you... You feel like we feel. When you, you, you look felt, at the film, yeah. is there a certain uh, specific scene in which you see yourself being that so natural, that 15-year-old? Because I watched it this morning. Oh, did you? Actually, yes. And I was thinking... Oh, God, she comes. Oh, honey nurse, what news? Oh, Lord. Why looks thou sad? Oh. You're with your nurse, and the nurse has gone to find out 
About Romeo. About Romeo. Yeah. And she comes back and she's doing the nurse. Uh, hast thou met with him? Oh, I am a weary. Give me leave a while. Fire, my bones ache. Oh. And you are just so impatient, and it is the kind of... And we shot that in 20 minutes. I mean, really. It is exactly yeah. the kind of fit my daughter would have had at 15. Exactly. So, well, I was yeah. being myself. Sweet nurse, tell me, what says my love? <laughs> Your love says, like an honest gentleman, and the courteous, and the kind, and handsome... And the warrant him a virtuous. Mm-hmm. Where's your mother? Where is my mother? Mm. Why, she's within, where should she be? How oddly thou repliest. Your love says, like an honest gentleman, huh? where is your mother? Oh, God's lady, dear, are you so hot? Mally, come up, I trow. Is this the poultice for my aching bones? Henceforward, do your messengers yourself. Here's such a coil. I know you have to go. Um, so I have wondered about this. How do you think your life would have turned out differently if... When you were 15, Franco Zeffirelli had cast you in a different movie about young lovers. A different movie? A different movie, not you know, he Shakespeare. Wanted to make, not he Romeo wanted to make Camille with me. But is him. that something you'd ever thought about? If it hadn't been Shakespeare? It could have been The Lady of the Camellias. But it would not have been a global... You never know. Oh, it that's depends true. who they cast as Armand. I mean, you never know, do you? You ask yourself in your book that after a lifetime of all of these experiences, and you certainly have had them, that you ask yourself what was left of of Juliet. How do you answer that? Well, a part of me was right left there because that was me. I mean, it's really funny because we we worked on that for nine, ten months, you know, and everybody in Italy, it became a way of life, and nobody called us Leonard and Olivia. Everyone called us Romeo and Juliet to this day. I still get called Juliet. It doesn't matter what other work I've done. And so many people over the years, even two days ago, you know, they just say, I just, I went into the class, you know, I just, English class, and I just didn't, you know, want to do Shakespeare. I wasn't, and then my teacher put on, you know, the first segment of your film, and we were all, oh, and they, they're our age, and they, they related. And so after that, so many people have said, I studied Shakespeare because of you. And I studied, you know, I wanted, I became a teacher because I saw the two of you and it gave me this love of the English language. And, you know, I mean, we went, when Franco was here a few years ago, Placido Domingo was here singing. And when he saw me, he came to the table and he called his wife over and he said, come here, come here, it's the Madonna, you know. And it was like we became Romeo and Juliet for that short time. He, we got wrapped up in this romantic way of life that was, you know, and after it was finished, most jobs after that, I always thought it was going to be hard, but most of them were so easy compared to that, you know, because it was so demanding and Franco wanted perfection. And But once you get spoiled and you start with something like that, everything else is work. Well, that is the thing. I mean, I, I talk to a lot of actors and it is uh, it is this blessing and a curse. You have this huge... Success when you're young and you become branded and known for that one role. And you became known for a role, the most famous version of the most famous English playwright. And, of course, there's no way of knowing who you would have been if you hadn't had that kind of astral 
plain celebrity. Mm. But is it something you think about? No. No. My life, I mean, we all look back and there's a lot about our lives we might have changed. But I think all of the knocks and all of the experiences made me who I am. And so I like me. I'm a nice person. That's all that really matters, I think, you know. I've been known always to be kind and, you know, I'm good to work with and professional and I've had a hell of a life, really. When I look back, I think, wow, I did that or, you know, my God, you know, I wouldn't have changed anything, really. And with that, it has been such a pleasure. I'm so glad that you could come talk on our podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) Olivia Hussey starred along with Leonard Whiting in Franco Zeffirelli's 1968 film version of Romeo and Juliet. She was interviewed by Barbara Bogave. Speak Again, Bright Angel was produced by Richard Paul. Garland Scott is the associate producer. It was edited by Gail Kern Pastor. Ben Lauer is the web producer. We had technical help from Andrew Feliciano and Paul Luke at Voice Tracks West in Studio City, California. If you've been enjoying Shakespeare Unlimited, I hope you'll consider reviewing this podcast on whatever platform you get the podcast from. It helps us get the word out to people who haven't heard it, people who might enjoy it. We'd really appreciate your help. Thank you. Shakespeare Unlimited comes to you from the Folger Shakespeare Library. Home to the world's largest Shakespeare collection, the Folger is dedicated to advancing knowledge and the arts. You can find more about the Folger at our website, folger.edu. And if you find yourself visiting Washington, D.C., we hope you'll visit us on Capitol Hill. See a performance in our Elizabethan theater and come face-to-face with one of our first folios, the first printed edition of Shakespeare's plays. We hope to see you here. Thanks for listening. For the Folger Shakespeare Library, I'm Folger director Michael Whitmore.